It's um, my privilege to introduce our guest uh, preacher for today, Anthony English. If you want to uh, come on up here, Anthony's an assistant director uh, for Mission to the World, and uh, maybe I'll just ask you a couple questions for the introduction. So, Anthony, yeah. what is Mission to the World? Uh, yeah, Mission to the World is the PCA's global mission sending agency. Um, we're currently in around 102 different countries, a little over 600 missionaries, and uh, been around since 1973. Great. And then what is it that you do for them? Yeah, uh, I travel like I'm doing now and uh, preach and teach on global missions. I speak to missions committees, uh, come alongside of churches and help them achieve their missions goals and go to seminaries and Christian colleges, conferences, anything to do with global missions, um, ha probably have my hand in somehow, some way. Right. Well, yeah. great. And uh, you're married? Yes, yeah. yes. Married uh, to my wife, Jana, a little over 11 years now. And we have three boys, uh, Eli, Ezra, and Israel, nine, seven, and five. Awesome. And where do you guys live at? Sacramento. So pray for us. Gas just hit like six, seven dollars. So I'm, I'm telling the kids, like, do you guys want to eat tonight? Do you want to get gas? Tonight's going to be a fasting and prayer night. Uh, so keep us in prayer. All right. Well, I'll do that right now. <laughs> I'll pray for you. Uh, Father, we thank you for Anthony. Thank you for him being here and for his ministry and for his love for you and your people. And bless him now as he preaches for us. We thank you uh, for all these things. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Oh, that was, who said that? I like it. I hope to hear more from you, buddy. No, it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, last year was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed myself. And last night at the missions dinner was very encouraging. So I want to uh, just give my thanks for the invitation to come back and to bring the word uh, this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. So let's go ahead and let's read that passage together, and then we'll pray. We'll, we'll dive right in. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town or a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you this Lord's Day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. As we just sang, there's, we don't have time enough to sing of all you have done for us and all you will continue to do for us. So, but Father, we do come to you. We ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we ask that your son will be exalted. And Father God, would you um, just make us ready to hear from you. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you heard, I'm the assistant director for Mission to the World's Western Hub. And one reason why I was excited to join MTW was because of our fourth core value, something that I 
really connected with. And our fourth core value is doing works of justice and mercy that flow out of a love for God. And we wanted to do that among the nations. I think uh, in our circles, our reformed circles at times, we can forget that Christianity is not just about orthodoxy, but orthopraxy, how we live our lives. And so when I saw that that was one of MTW's main core values, it really uh, resonated with me. We want to love people in word and deed like Jesus. And our passage today deals with that fact. It deals with this truth. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 comes from the second part of the greatest uh, sermon ever preached. Even people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, even non-Christians say that the Sermon on the Mount is one of the, the pinnacles of ethical teaching in the world. And that even for those who don't love Christ, even for those who don't call themselves Christians, a lot of them will admit that if we could live our lives according to the Sermon on the Mount, this world would be a much loving, uh, brighter place. I do believe it is the greatest sermon ever preached. And our title today is Salt and Light. And our two points are very simple, very, very simple. You are salt and you are light. So our first point, you are salt. Verse 13 When we read verse 13, one of the first things we focus on, one of the first things we ask is, okay, how do I act as salt? What does that mean for me, practically speaking? And see, this is a good question, but that's not the first thing that Jesus says or wants us to focus on. Look closely at verse 13 with me. What is Jesus's first statement to us? You are the salt of the earth. Jesus doesn't give us a command. He doesn't say, well, do this first and then you'll be salt. No, he says, as Christians, we are the salt of the earth. That is our identity. He starts us off first by saying, this is who you already are in me. He then answers our question, how do I act as salt? What does that mean, Jesus? What does it mean to be salt? You say we are the salt of the earth, but practically speaking, Lord, what do you mean by that? What does this mean for my life in 2023 here in Utah? Well, if you were to ask someone, what is one function of salt? An answer you're probably going to receive is, that salt preserves food from decay. And they'd be right. In the days of the Bible, there are no refrigerators, right? So they had to keep their food, specifically their fish, their meat from rapid decay. And so they put salt on it. They stopped that spread of decay so that they wouldn't get sick. But there's another use for salt that I didn't know about until a few years ago. Does anyone here like to garden? All right, so only one, two, three, okay. Well, the majority of you are like me. I don't like gardening, I don't, it's not my interest, but my wife and my oldest son both really like to go outside in our backyard and do some gardening. And one thing my wife taught me is how salt is used to help things grow. It's 
it acts as a sort of agricultural fertilizer. So what does this mean for us today? I think this is important because oftentimes, what do we think about? We often think about simply holding back the spread of decay. But I think that we a lot of times forget this other function, this function of causing things to grow. When Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, he doesn't just say you're on the defensive. You're not simply just holding back. We're as the church. We're not simply just holding back the spread of moral decay in our society. But it's one of growth. We are to, and I want to make this clear, within the guidelines of the Bible with what I'm about to say. Because a lot of times, oftentimes when we look at the world's definition of love, our beauty, our justice, our righteousness, because of common grace, there's some things that we can agree on, but there's other things that the world says, this is what it means to be loving. This is what it means to, 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 to be beautiful. This is what justice looks like. And as people of the word, we have to say, well, no. That is not what love looks like. That's not what justice looks like. That's not what beauty looks like. That's not what righteousness looks like. So within the guidelines of the Bible, as we stand upon the foundation of the word of God, what does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to help cultivate the growth of love, of truth, of beauty, of creativity, of goodness, of mercy, of justice, of righteousness. God is saying, don't just worry about holding things back, but be a force of change in the lives and in your community and the lives of the people that you know. We are to help cultivate this growth that God says is beautiful. And we do it as individual Christians, but also as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me make it shorter. We are to help cultivate the growth and advancement of God's kingdom in our local communities and among the nations. A both and vision. Oftentimes, we get caught into this either or dichotomy, right? This false binary, this false choice, right? Either we focus only here at home to the exclusion of the nations, or we only focus on the nations to the exclusion of the people in our very own communities. And Jesus says, no, be a people of both, both and. Acts 1.8. I love this verse because Jesus says, listen, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. That means you're going to go to the people that you can't stand. The people that you have issues with. That means that Jesus says, if you're a Republican, I want you to go love your Democratic friends. And if you're a Democrat, I want you to go love your Republican friends. If you're a socialist, go love your capitalist friends. If you're a capitalist, go love your socialist. I want you to love those and to be my witnesses to those you may not get along with in the natural realm. Those you would rather not maybe spend time around the dinner table with. I want you to be a witness to them. I want you to love them. I want you to do good to those you find it hard to even pray for at times. And then he says, you will be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the globe. And saints, I just want to remind you of something. Jesus said that in Jerusalem, standing on the Mount of Olives before his ascension. We 
in America are part of the uttermost parts of the world. If you are saved, if you are a Christian, it's because those disciples were witnesses. Here's his witnesses to all the world. That's why we're saved today. We are a part of that uttermost parts of the world. That's what Jesus wants from us as his people. This is why at MTW, our vision is the gospel of the kingdom advancing throughout the world. We want to see the gospel spread throughout the world. We want to see the church grow. And listen, we want to see Satan's kingdom destroyed. One of my favorite verses is when Peter says, you have been taken out of the the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his light. We want to see Satan's kingdom destroyed. And we want to see the reign of Jesus Christ extend across the globe. One day, the knowledge of the Lord will cover this earth as the waters covers the sea. That's what the book of Habakkuk tells us is going to happen. That's where we're going to. That's where history is leading to. History is leading to all nations, tribes, tongues, and languages standing before the throne of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be screaming, shouting out to him. And we're going to be saying, glory to you, Lord, because salvation belongs to you. Because with your blood, Jesus, you what? You ransomed the people from everywhere. I love hearing our brother pray today. In Spanish, oh my gosh, I can't wait to heaven. I can't wait to hear all the languages and all the foods and and all the nationalities and all the cultures and dress standing before the throne of Jesus Christ. Y'all, history is about to get amazing and wild. Our end is better than our beginning. This is where we are going to. And that's when we act as salt, when we live our lives as the salt of the earth, this is what God is doing. He's saying, I know you may just think of your life in your small circles, but I'm using you. I'm using your life in this cosmic way. I'm using you to help bring history to its intended end. This is good news for us. This is what it means to be salt. And what does Jesus mean in the rest of verse 13 when he speaks about salt losing its taste and being thrown out and trampled? Some people say, well, wait a minute. Does this mean that we can lose our salvation? Does this mean that if we are not living our lives the way we ought to as Christians, that God will throw us out and be trample us, right? And I've heard people use this verse to say, well, you can lose salvation. But is that what Jesus is saying? Of course not. Our salvation is secure in Christ. Listen to how Dr. Anthony Bradley, he's a, uh, a black Presbyterian and he was a former pr- uh, professor at the King's College in New York City. Listen to how he explains what Christ says in this portion of our text. He says, but if those same followers are not committed to the radically countercultural message of Jesus Christ, they lose their saltiness, which is the unique witness to the power of the gospel 
that brings the kingdom of God to the messes of the world, stimulating life and growth. If we lose our saltiness, we are no longer good for anything and cannot be the agents of change that Jesus intended for his followers to be. One reason, family, God calls you to himself. One reason why God saved you is so that you can be agents of change where he has placed you. Where there is chaos, we are to help bring order. Where there is broken relationships, we are to help foster reconciliation. Where there is injustice, we are to help foster justice. Where there's the ugliness of sin, we bring the life-giving beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters. We are priests and ambassadors of the King of Heaven. And everywhere we go, we are to be witnesses to him and to his kingdom. We are to be inviting people to enter the kingdom of God. How? Through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is one reason why the apostle Paul writes in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What happens when you have a really salty meal? What does it make you want to do? Go get some water. Our lives should make people thirsty for what we have, for Christ. And then what do we do? We point them to the living water. And what is the living water? The Lord Jesus Christ. Those who believe in me, out of their belly will flow rivers of living water, right? You get this natural water, but I can give you living water that will never run out. I will quench your spiritual thirst. We are to live our lives where people are saying, hey, man, what is going on? Why did you act that way? Why are you this way? Why do you live your lives this way? What is it about you? You're weird, but in the best way, the best way. Don't be Christian weird. You know what that means. There's a weirdness that we as Christians sometimes have. And I'm like, don't, that's not going to lead anyone to Christ. That's going to, it's cringy. It's going to make people walk away. Don't be that weird, but be weird in the way that you live your life where someone says something evil, you return blessing. That's the weird of the, of the kingdom of God. When someone curses you out, you bless them. When someone doesn't deserve forgiveness, you forgive and then you bless on top of that. Because that's the weirdness that people are saying, this is not normal. This is not how normal people act. Why are you the way you are? And then we can tell them, it's because of the change of Jesus Christ in my life. Why didn't I hit you even though I could have? Because of Jesus. Why did I do that nice thing even though I should have just canceled you? Because of Jesus. And that will make people thirsty for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And this brings us to our second and final point. You are light. Read with me again, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, 
let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. We are described as the light of the world in a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, according to verse 14. So again, I want to ask you, but also me as well, do our neighbors, our relatives, our colleagues, our enemies, do they know that we follow Jesus Christ? Do they know that we're Christians? Jesus doesn't want undercover Christians. He wants open and honest and bold Christians. Do those in our lives know that we love Jesus? Because they should. It should be visible to others that we follow Christ. And in verse, 13, verse 15, we see that no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a bowl, right? Puts it under a basket because that would defeat the purpose of a lamp. Let me ask you guys a question. Has anyone here seen the movie It by Stephen King? From the 90s, scared, not, not the new one, the, thank you, yes, I see the head, terrified me as a child, right? To this day, I have told my kids, you cannot have a clown at your party. If your friends have a clown at, your, at a party, I'm not taking you, you better ask your mom. I don't like clowns, to this day, it terrifies me. And I don't know why my mom allowed me to watch that like at the age of five, but it's, to this day, I still have not watched that movie and I probably won't. But imagine, I used to have nightmares about Pennywise the Clown, and that was the main evil clown guy. But Pennywise was something that haunted my dreams as a child. And imagine with me, though, one night I'm screaming out because I think Pennywise is in my closet or under the bed, like I used to think. And my mom rushes in and she goes, what's wrong? And I say, Mom, Pennywise is here. He's in there. He's down there and he wants to get me. And my mom, being a good mom, says, no, Pennywise isn't there. I shouldn't have let you watch the movie. Here's a nightlight, and she plugs in the nightlight. Now, what's the purpose of a nightlight for a, for a kid? To help them not be afraid is to show them you have nothing to be afraid of and to give them a good night's rest and so that they don't disturb your rest as a parent. <laughs> so, but imagine my mom comes, and as she puts in the nightlight, she's walking out, she takes one of my blankets, and she throws it over the light. Why would you do that? You just defeated the whole, you plugged in the light, but then you, you put the blanket over the nightlight. Why would that? That makes no sense. Who would do that? And the answer is, if it's a good parent, no one would do that, right? But saints, isn't that what we do with the light that Christ has put inside of us? We grab our blanket of excuses, our blanket of sin, and instead of allowing our light to shine so that those in the darkness can see the light of Jesus Christ, we throw our blanket of excuses over it. We throw our blanket of sin over it. We shrink back from living lives that we know Jesus has died for us to live, has risen for us to live. We allow fear of man to keep us in the shadows. We allow besetting sins to keep us from standing boldly for our Lord Jesus Christ in a culture that so desperately needs it, you guys. There are people who are hurting, people who are on their way to an eternity under the wrath of God. They need to see Jesus in us. There's a quote, and I think it's a good one. We may be the only Bibles that people read. When they read us as their Bibles, 
They may not pick up the good book and read it, but they will read us. What do they see about Jesus? What do they see about God? Do they see a Jesus who's loving, holy, merciful, willing to forgive, willing to save? We don't want to hide that light in us. So now the question is, how do we shine our light before others? What does that mean? And verse 16 tells us plainly, Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. We shine our lights by doing good deeds, good works. But I know some people may say, well, hold on a minute, Anthony. Doesn't Jesus say not to do good works to be seen by men? Because then you'll be like the Pharisees. And the answer is yes, but here's the reason, here's the difference. It's the motivation. Why were the, uh, the, the, the religious leaders, why were they doing good works? They were doing it to be seen by men in order to build their own kingdom. They wanted people to say, oh my gosh, look at how nice he is. Look, he's feeding the poor. Oh my gosh, they're so good, they're so kind. And Jesus says they have their reward already. But Jesus says, I want you to do good works so that people can see your good works and glorify who? Who? God. God. Do good works so that the light's not pointing on you, but it's pointing to your heavenly father. Do it to build his kingdom, not our own temporal kingdom. That's the difference. The reformer Martin Luther said this. He goes, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. I love this right here. He also said this. He goes, listen, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. God doesn't need anything from us. We think of God sometimes as like this needy deity. This needy God, right? I just need you so much. I can't. What am I going to do without you? God doesn't need us, you guys. He's self-sufficient in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this is the amazing thing to me. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. God says, I saved you so you can be a partner with me. That's amazing that we serve a God who doesn't need us, but a God who wants us. Amen? And this God says, I want you to do good works for your neighbors, and in doing so, it'll glorify me. Ephesians 2.10 says that we were, or Ephesians 2.8.9 says this, that it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this, this is not a result of ourselves, it's a, it's a gift of God, not as a result of work so that we cannot boast, we cannot be arrogant or prideful that we are Christians. It is the most countercultural. it is the most contradictory thing when we as believers in Christ look down our noses on anyone who is not a believer. As if we are Christians because we're smarter or wiser or more moral. No. In fact, Paul kind of humbles us. He goes, listen, not many of the good people according to the world are saved. Not many noble are saved. Not many wise are saved. It's the foolish things of the world that God has chosen. So if you're saved, you qualify as Weak, foolish, and not noble and not wise. 
We should never look down our noses at anyone. But then in Ephesians 2, 10, it says that we were not saved by good works, but we are saved for the purpose of good works. Ephesians 2, 10, for we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Before the world began, God says, I have something for you to do. Every day that we are alive, we ought to wake up and ask the Lord, what good works have you called me to do today for those who know you and those who don't know you? How can I glorify you today, Father, by shining my light, by doing good deeds for those out in the world, for those in my circle of influence? And then Titus 2.14 says that we should be a people who are zealous for good works. We should be passionate for good works. We should be excited to do good works because as James 2 says, our good works are also evidence that we've been saved. You have faith, James says, well, show me your faith by what you do. Don't just tell people, oh, I'll pray for you. God bless you. I hope everything works out. If you have the means to bless someone, don't tell them just go and be fed, feed them. If they're hurting and you have the means to assist them, then do it. We ought to do that. James says, if you have faith, show your faith in Christ by what you do with your life for others. So what are some examples of good works? Verbally sharing the gospel with people here at home and overseas. James 1.27 says that pure and undefiled religion before God is visiting orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself unstained from the world. What about forgiving someone who has wronged you or doing something nice for the person? Again, you can't stand. What about working for biblical social justice and redemptive ethnic unity? There are so many other good works that we can do. We just need to be open to what the spirit would have us to do. Now, some of you might be asking, okay, I get how I can be salt and light here in Utah, here in America, but what about overseas? Well, one way that you can be salt and light, here's a really practical one step right here that you can do. Go on the MTW website, look at a project, pray for that project. Pray for what missionaries are, missionaries are trying to do across the globe. If you feel led by the Spirit, give to them. Or what you're doing here at Jordan Valley already, look at the pledges and see who the Spirit would have you to connect with. See what project or what missionary really resonates with your heart and then give to them. If you are interested in learning, hey, I would like to maybe go on a vision trip. I would like to maybe go overseas and do good in a practical sense. Let me know if you have skills let me know. There's plenty of missionaries across the globe who are saying, hey, we need people who know how to run businesses, who are good with their hands, who know how to work well with children or to teach. There are a lot of ways that you can do good works overseas. Another excellent way is by doing what you're doing, investing in long-term partnerships with Christians overseas. An example would be, I love that Pastor Stoddard is going next month, I believe, to Kenya. Um, because they asked him to come and he's going to be teaching at a seminary. That is a good work right there. You can also, again, financially give, pray. Here's another thing that you can do in kids. 
Kids can do this too. Have them write letters to the children over there. It is very lonely for missionary kids overseas. Mark Peach, Mark and Melissa and their children, very homesick. I know they would love to receive letters just saying, hey, we miss you. Hey, we can't wait to see you when you come back. Those go a long way because so many missionaries come back and say, Anthony, it's like we're out of sight and out of mind. We leave and we just feel forgotten. And it's hard to go on Facebook and see our friends and our family seeming to move on and we seem to be forgotten. Those are just ways to partner. But also, it's not just about giving, it's about receiving. You guys, there's so much we can learn from the churches overseas. There's so much they can teach us about theology and what it means to live as Christians, especially in a society that may not always be the most open to the Christian faith. But as I close, I want you to think of Jesus Christ, the ultimate expression of what it means to be salt and light. Think about how he came to earth doing good, doing miracles, casting out demons, lifting up those who are marginalized and oppressed, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Think of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and who took our sins on himself, dying the death we all deserve to die, and then rising again from the dead so that anyone who puts their trust in him alone receive eternal life. As his church, let's follow the lead of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's live our lives in light of who we already are in him. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. May we show forth his glorious light in Northern California, Utah, and to the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, we thank you that we are salt, we are light. Lord, help us to be passionate about doing good for our neighbors, not so that they can praise us, but so that they can praise you. Jesus, help us to follow your example. Help us to walk as you walked. And Lord, would those in our lives, both here in Utah, but also through our long-term investments and partnerships, may those among the nations come to know you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.